Are Canadians suddenly interested in our history? Are we actually outraged that the passport has been changed? Hello, I'm Brian Lilly, your host. This is the Full Comment Podcast here on the Post Media Network. It's something that grabbed people more than I thought it would when it happened. A week or so ago, the Trudeau government deciding that they were going to update our passport for security reasons, which is fine, but they also took out all the historic images from our passport, be it Terry Fox, Nellie McClone of the famous five, the, the last spike, Fathers of Confederation, images of Quebec City, the prairies, all of these things gone. And in exchange, images that I compared to a cheap IKEA coloring book. In a piece at the National Post recently, former Harper uh, cabinet minister Peter McKay said, it's not that a bland generic passport on its own damages the Canadian psyche. It's the intentional act of obliterating our history in sense of pride that causes harm, callously discarding the words, symbols, traditions, and beliefs that are woven into the fabric of our nation is wrong-headed. Purging, erasing, like the book burning and whitewashing of a bygone era, are often signs of an insidious effort to hide truth and human triumph and are doomed to failure. End quote. Joining me to discuss this issue and Canadian history in general is David Berkison. He is a history professor at the University of Calgary and director emeritus at the Institute for Military and Strategic Studies. Joins me now from Calgary. David, thanks for the time. Okay, you're welcome. What uh, What was your sense when you saw the new passport and saw that we had decided we're, we're going to dump Terry Fox and Nellie McClung in Vimy Ridge, and um, but in exchange, you're going to get a nice little cute photo of a, a drawing of a squirrel and a guy raking leaves into a wheelbarrow. Right. Uh, there's no question that this represents uh, thinking within the government, although if things in, in, the, in uh, preparation of this passport went as they normally do, probably started down at some bureaucratic level and worked its way up to the top. And then people nodded and said, sure, yeah, that's all right, let's go ahead. So I think it does reflect uh, a view of Canadian history, which is that there's a lot of bad things in Canadian history. And if we put this image or that image or another other image there's always going to be somebody who's going to complain that we're colonialist or we're racist or we're uh, homophobic or whatever the case may be. And so let's avoid all of that controversy and uh, put in stuff that uh, nobody could possibly complain about, like raking leaves. Except as I've pointed out to people, raking leaves, the images that are there, that's a very central Canadian image. All the images are very central Canadian, and, and there's large parts of the country where this doesn't look like where you live. I agree completely. Um, I, I haven't seen, I've only seen the new passport on, uh, on, on uh, the internet, uh, and I, of course my passport is the old one. Uh, raking leaves, I don't know, I don't rake any leaves. Uh, <laughs> I, just let them, I just let them sit there all winter and then we'll deal, them, we'll deal with them in the spring. But I think the point is that who can argue about uh, raking leaves being a prime f- function of Canadians? We know we get winter. It's the worst thing that happens to us in this country. Uh, apparently we're the second coldest country on the face of the earth. So the leaves fall down and we have to rake them. Um, 
no controversy there. Don't have to worry about immigrant ships coming into the harbor in Halifax. People complain about, we have too many immigrants. We don't have enough immigrants. Uh, no complaining about Vimy Ridge. Oh, that was a bad war and we shouldn't have taken part in it and so on. And, and it, it also feeds a theme that I'm very, very concerned about, which is that what most Canadians, I think, learn about the history of their country today is highly negative. Uh, this is a, a great country, in my opinion. We, uh, and I say we, I'm, I'm speaking for Canadians going all the way back several hundred years. We have done great things in this country. Have we done rotten things in this country? You bet we have. Show me a country that hasn't. In the United States, for example, we know that uh, Washington and Jefferson owned slaves. The Americans seem to think, well, a lot of people owned slaves back then, and our values today are very different than they were then, but these guys still did something very important for the history of the United States. And here we have people who go around and they take the heads off statues of Johnny McDonald. Uh, or they why, take the statue what, down completely. Or they take the statue down completely, or they paint it all red. And Queen Victoria, my God, what did she ever have anything to say about the government of Canada? But th this is the image that we are getting today. And I think we are losing our sense of perspective in that we are a great country. We have done great things together in all fields, sciences, engineering, arts, uh, the military, um, putting a country together against tremendous odds across thousands of kilometers of very inhospitable uh, territory. And I could go on and on and on. And, and, and if you gave me an hour, I could read out probably two, 300 names of Canadians who did fa famous things. Nobody hears about them. Well, look, you said that some of the images that were in there could have been controversial. We've got a government that claims to be a, a feminist government. They took out Nellie McClone, one of the famous five that went to court to prove that women were persons, to make yeah. sure that they could have the right to vote, that they could sit for elected office once elected. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's too controversial. Terry Fox. Um, the mayor of Port Coquitlam, Brad West, said whoever made the decision to remove Terry Fox from uh, Canadian passports needs to give their head a shake. Our, our country needs more Terry Fox, not less. He's too controversial. I know that, you know, when the Harper government brought in these images, their critics said, well, it's too militaristic because there were a couple of pages with military images. But those were, were not even close to the majority. Right. Are, are we so uh, ashamed of our history that Terry Fox is now controversial? I don't think we are ashamed of our history. I think this government and possibly the past government or maybe several governments going back, I don't know when all of this started. It started at least 20 years ago uh, that that we have we beat ourselves with chains on the back for being this country of colonialists and slaveholders and bias and prejudice and uh, look what we did to the Japanese in the Second World War, etc., etc., etc. Now, and, and those are all things worth talking about and yes, acknowledging. Yes, of course they are. Absolutely, absolutely, they are. What what we did to the Japanese in the Second World War is a perfect example of a bunch of people 
particularly on the West Coast, with some federal politicians at the time, this is in the months after Pearl Harbor, saying, oh my God, these people are all, are all going to uh, conduct espionage against the rest of the country, and they're going to side with the Japanese uh, empire, and on and on and on and on. And what was done was a horrible mistake. But any country makes mistakes in their development. No country that I can think of can say, I've got a completely clean past, I was always politically correct, I was always woke, nothing that we did harmed anybody. That's just not real. That's just not real. So, yes, we should talk about the negatives in our history, but there are so many positives that we don't ever talk about. And I think this this passport is a perfect example of that problem. Um, you take Vimy Ridge, for example. Uh, we fought in the First World War. Um, we fought at the Battle of Vimy Ridge. It was a, a singular Canadian victory. It was an important victory for Canada at the time. Today, people might look back at the First World War and say, well, it was a war of uh, empires against empires and uh, this and that and the other thing. And yeah, that's all true. So you add that into your explanation for why we went to war in 1914 and why our soldiers were at Vimy Ridge in 1917, but you don't wipe it out. That's my whole point, it, that it, it was a... It was an event of great importance to Canadian history. And so were events in the Second World War and in the Korean War and so on. But it's not just war. We've done wonderful things. Uh, you know, I'm a diabetic. I take insulin every single day. And I remind myself that it was two guys from Toronto who discovered insulin and the important. I, I walk by their statue at. on a regular basis. I, I, I'm not far from yeah. where they worked, where they did that seminal work. And and yeah. one of the things I, I've said since finding out Terry Fox was taken out was I could understand if it was uh, to say, okay, well, we, we honored Terry Fox the last time, but we've got a long list of great Canadians and we're going to put in Frederick Banting. But they sure. didn't do that. No. We've got the cheap Ikea coloring book. Uh, there, there was a, a, a lady who worked for Canadian Car and Foundry at Fort William, who was the chief aeronautical engineer of the first hurricane fighters that we built in the Second World War. And she got her position through tremendous struggle. Uh, and then everyone acknowledged that, that she had played a huge role in the design and construction of these fighter planes, which were vital to us and vital to the UK in the Battle of Britain and so on. Why not put her on the dollar bill or, or, or on, on the passport? Why not put her on the passport? I mean, you, know, you don't have to look far to see who these people are and what they did and the events that they, put, that they were taking part in. Don't have to look far. You know, all you need to do is get, get some first-year university history student, and they'll fill you with hundreds and hundreds of pages of Canadians who did great things. We did great things together. We still are today, but if you emphasize the negative, uh, if you apologize every Tuesday and Thursday for something else that you've done in your history, well, then you're then you're destroying people's sense of self identity as as belonging to a country that they can and should be proud of. I've long had a sense, and and maybe you can speak about this, is that. 
maybe you've noticed it. Maybe you think I'm off base, but people that back the Liberal Party of Canada tend to look at history as starting when Lester Pearson was prime minister. Anything before Expo 67. Now, maybe that's a generational thing for boomers. I don't know. But they they seem to think that all the great things in Canada happened since 67. That was a year of celebrating our 100th anniversary as an independent country. I don't know. It seems to be lost on them. But it's like there's a certain mindset within certain parts of our society that say, let's forget about everything before. Let's just deal with the now. This is a phenomenon one finds amongst youth in the United States and in Europe, uh, and yes, in Canada, which is, like you said, history began yesterday or history begins today. Uh, One of the reasons is because we hardly teach history in the school systems across the country. Now, the curriculum are, of course, provincial matters, but uh, if curriculum allows schools to get away with teaching Good old basic solid Canadian history. How did we get here? What did we do once we got here? How did we shape this country and so on? Then they're not going to know anything. I, I, I teach in a university. The students I teach are largely second and third year and graduate students. And uh, it's amazing how many of them don't know the basic facts about Canadian history because they're not being taught in high school. Uh, back about uh, where, where the dinosaurs roamed the earth and I was in, in, in high school, uh, <laughs> I learned all of that stuff. And uh, it didn't hurt me. <laughs> you know, at least it gave me a sense of where we came from and uh, why we're here and what we've been able to accomplish. That's really all history can do anyway, but it's important because if you if you wipe away history, you have collective amnesia. Why am I standing here in the middle of downtown Toronto? And why are these cars here? And why are those buildings there? And why is there a harbor down there? It's impossible to to think about it, but in fact, that's what it is. And uh, we're we're just not teaching it anymore. The uh, the social scientists uh, or social studies experts have gained control of the curriculum. The governments, for the most part, leave it alone because it's very controversial. Uh, and so that's what we're, we're raising generations and generations of people who know very little about this country, the good or the bad. And so the government comes along and says, well, we need a new passport. We'll put a raking leaves in there instead of a Terry Fox. People can look at that and they can say, well, who is Terry Fox? And who is this guy with one leg? And why are we got him on our passport? Well, if you don't know the history of Terry Fox, then he doesn't mean anything to you. And he and you should know the history of Terry Fox because he was a real Canadian hero. Yeah, I um, I'll admit, David, I'm a history buff. I I would love to take your classes if I were out in Calgary. I'd just sit at the back and uh, and enjoy myself listening. But but I'm the weirdo. I'm the guy that stops to read every plaque. You know, like he, here's the spot that we did the last hanging in Toronto. It's like, oh, okay, that's yeah. interesting. Things yeah. like that are around, but. But, you know, I've had taken lots of friends on on visits around different battle sites. And you say, well, this is where Tecumseh helped the British take Detroit. Wait, Tecumseh? Isn't he American? Yeah, he fought with us in the War of 1812. I mean, shouldn't they be looking at things like that? You know, we've got a government that says reconciliation is our most important thing. And how often do you hear about issues like that where First Nations and 
settlers like the British were working together for common purpose in the yeah. War of 1812 because Tecumseh said, I'm, I'm on your side. You know, I can't work with these guys. And it, was, and it wasn't just Tecumseh. I mean, I teach uh, Canadian military history, and when we talk about the War of 1812, my emphasis is the militia from, that grew out of society, the First Nations, and some British soldiers. We beat back the Americans, and we made Canada possible. And the role of the First Nations in the War of 1812 just cannot cannot be underestimated. So I completely agree with that. And, uh, and that is a, a, an, an example of people working together to accomplish something. Now, does that mean that uh, the residential schools were uh, a terrible thing and it marked the only real point of contact between the government or between uh, Euro-Canadians and uh, the Aboriginal nations? No, it does not. Um, and let's look at the school, the residential schools. How did they get there? Why did they get there? Who supported them? Uh, we'll find in many cases it was Aboriginal communities themselves that wanted their kids to uh, learn whatever uh, science, engineering, agriculture that these schools taught. Um, but we don't teach that either. The, the schools were only for bad purposes uh, the Parliament of Canada called it a genocide, which to me is a complete destruction of the meaning of the word genocide. And there we move on from there. Well, we've passed judgment. It was genocide. Now let's move on to uh, imposing a new tax on shoelaces. Uh, it's just, uh, just, I get very angry about it. We've got a, a prime minister that did say that we are... Um the first post-national state, that we are a country that doesn't look at our history. Does it, does it come from the top? I mean, I agree with you that this passport change is one example, likely started with bureaucrats. Um, but if it started with bureaucrats and they said, well, let's change it this way, it's up to the government to step in and say, no, that's, that's not how we're going, going to do it. I mean, the Americans, the Brits, the French, the, the Australians, all these other countries use their passports as a way to celebrate their country, not put in generic clip art. And, right. and, and so if the bureaucrats come up with generic clip art, if the government believes in its own rhetoric about Canada, then they should have said at some point, mm, no, this isn't where we're going. We're, we're not doing that. Well, if we're a post-national country, why is it that whenever Canada and the United States play off in the, uh, in the world hockey tournaments every year that everyone is out there watching TV and wanting to make sure that uh, Canada uh, defeats the United States. We want to support Canada and playing the United States. You know, I'm, uh, I'm a great lover of, uh, uh, of certain uh, important aspects of the United States, but if it comes to who do I want to see win the Olympic medals, it's Canada. And I don't believe that, amongst the almost 40 million of us, that there are very many people who think differently. So to say we're a post-national state is, uh, you know, it's, it's to throw another cliche at what's going on, uh, because we're not a post-national state. There is pride in Canada. I've got, I live in a neighborhood here where, I, I don't know, about half the houses here have got Canadian flags flying in their backyards. 
And this is supposed to be separatist Alberta, uh, which it is not. Uh, and I would say the same thing probably goes uh, across the country from Newfoundland to, to British Columbia. We like what we are, but we don't get enough of the real story of who we are. And so you might say, well, I feel proud to be a Canadian. Okay, why? Uh, I don't know. I just feel proud to be a Canadian. Well, if you can say I'm proud to be a Canadian because we did this and this and this and this and this. And yes, we committed uh, offenses. Uh, all countries do. We should acknowledge them. Our kids need to learn about the bad things that we did as well as the good things. Uh, and move on from there, but we don't, we don't do it. Now you say that you're talking about the, the government in Ottawa, and I say, yeah, that's a, that's a big part of the problem. But you know, all of the provinces, they all control the curriculum and educations in their, in their, in their provinces. Uh, they're not in Ottawa. Uh, why are they allowing this to happen? Because they're giving in to the educational, quote, specialists, unquote, who say, well, we know what we should be teaching these kids, and we need to show them, we need to teach them uh, how, how, to, how shameful they should feel about what we did to the Japanese and to the indigenous peoples, to the Jews, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> Sorry, yeah, teach that, but teach the other stuff. Uh, teach the, the, the important stuff. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that was very, very important that we contributed to the world and to ourselves but nobody hears about it. I wonder how much of that is due to the academic world that you live in. And I want to ask you about that when we come back from this quick break. Is the academic world part of the problem? Um, I think it's worthwhile considering that, especially as we, we speak with you, David. You're, you're an academic. You're a history pr professor. It's people like you, not you uh, in all cases, but you know, who writes the history books that the, or the curriculum? Uh, that the uh, the schools will follow. Um, is there a a sense in Canadian academia that um, we are the problem? That our history is is just one big uh, reason to sit in sack and ashcloth? Uh, oh yeah, you, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, a, a good friend of mine, and I think a famous Canadian historian named Jack Ranistein wrote a book about 25 years ago called Who Killed Canadian History? And the book was really about the different trends amongst academic historians at the time. And what he was trying to say, and I completely agree with him, was that when we began uh, really in the 1960s to break away from the old history of politics and males and politics and males and what they did to the country and Johnny McDonald and George Brown and so on, and began to broaden the field of Canadian history, which was a good thing. And we began to teach labor history and women's history and so on and so forth, that the central themes of the history of this country became forgotten or were hidden by some academics who thought it was far more important to teach some of this uh, social science stuff than it was to actually teach history. And a lot of them, I have to say, uh, not my content, uh, contemporaries, but maybe, maybe a generation after me who had uh, political views that were, let's say, quite liberal. And uh, they brought those views into the classroom. They brought those views into the writing of 
Canadian history books and so on. And that's part of what happened. There's no question about it. So that is part of what happened. So are, are we able to teach all those different aspects of history, but also the central story at the same time? Sure we can. Uh, an average uh, an average university semester in, in this country is about four months long. Uh, you, you, you put in, as an academic, I have academic freedom. I put in what I feel is important in my courses. I have to downplay those things that I think are not so important because I don't have the time to cover them all. But maybe somebody takes a course in uh, pre-Confederation Canada from me or one of my colleagues and then somebody else pe- teaches uh, Canada from 1867 to 1914. It's absolutely possible. And uh, the, the problem is that people who are in charge of curricula at the provincial levels largely determine what our students are learning. And when they go into university, some of them will take, will take history courses and hopefully when they do take history courses, they'll get a much fuller understanding of who we are as a nation and as a people. But uh, if they don't, if they're not uh, forced to take history, if history is not there on the curriculum for them, they'll never learn. They haven't learned it in high school where you can control the curriculum. And if they don't want to learn it in university, they don't have to learn it. So that's, a, again, a part of this problem. We don't, they don't, we don't know enough about the things that our country has done, good or bad. And so when it comes to putting a passport together and you say to yourself, well, whoever looks at the pictures on a passport and the I, answer is I probably, do. you do. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I looked at the pictures of my passport when I got it and uh, it says, and I thought at the time, well, yeah, it strikes me as about right. You know, you've got, I can't remember how many pages there were, about eight or nine uh, how, how do you distill Canadian history into eight or nine pages? Well, you know, yeah, Terry Fox should be there. Bimmy Ridge should be there. Nellie McClung should be there or some, some other people who represent the early feminist movement in this country. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I was fine. Thank you. I've got my passport. Now I'll use it wherever I go anywhere. But today, uh, what we've got is just a bunch of soaked cornflakes. Too soaked and co- too soaked to to be solid. Too soaked to have an edge to them. Uh, just it's just a lot of historical mush. You know, we love to tell stories of ourselves that aren't fully true, and I wonder if that tendency has led to some of what we're dealing with now. You know, uh, well, Canadians help with the Underground Railroad. Absolutely true, but now some Canadians are shocked to find out that. Well, some of our civic leaders had slaves, Um, you know, and you can look at James McGill. People are saying they want to get rid of the name of McGill University in Montreal, famous institution. Uh, The streets here in Toronto, it's less of a problem in Western Canada. Um, But, you know, get rid of Jarvis Street because Jarvis had slaves. Well, so did Joseph Brandt, who was a famous uh, Mohawk leader, Uh, brought them from New York State to Southern Ontario. If, If... I, th- I think that speaks to my contention that if we learn the fullness of our history, the good and the bad, that we we have a better understanding of ourselves. And I think the smugness that we've had surrounding how good we are, how pure Canadians have always been, 
leaves us shocked because, as you say, people aren't being taught history. And then, oh, wait, somebody had slaves? Burn them down. Eradicate them from the past. Well, that's that's absolutely true, and it's a good thing that you that you raised the issue of slavery because the British Empire abolished slavery in 1832. So there was no slavery in Canada after 1832, and although there was slavery under the French colonial regime and then even under the British colonial regime until that point in time, although the British abolished the slave trade just after the turn of the 19th century. Uh, Slavery has not become, in my opinion, is not the central issue in our country that it is in the United States. There's no slavery in the United States today, but they continue to wrestle with the problem of blacks and whites in American society and the inequalities that exist between blacks and whites in American society. It's, it's, it's central to American history. It's not central to our history. And the reason is simply because we didn't have that many slaves in this country and slavery was abolished 30 years before the American Civil War broke out. So it plays a different role in the history of this country. But there are always people in Canada who look at the latest trend in the United States and they say, oh, me too. I want, I want us to be like that also. And so if the Americans had this terrible thing called slavery, we had it also, and we should feel just as ashamed about it and, uh, and, and feel that it was just as much of a sin as it was in the United States, which it was not. And I think it's that simple that uh, uh, our history developed differently than their history did, and we have to take that into consideration. There's um, you know, stories across the country of different groups, races, ethnicities, not getting on at certain points. But I would say that we've built a fairly harmonious country. And so to focus at this point on what divided us 100 years ago um, and try and use that to sow division today just seems counterproductive. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. Of course, there were people who uh, who didn't agree with other people on major issues, for example. We had riots uh, in Vancouver, in Toronto, in Montreal, yeah. in Winnipeg. Yeah. Big general strike in Winnipeg in 1919. But the, the point is that we have overcome a lot of those divisions. There are new divisions in Canadian society today. There will always be divisions in a country like ours that sweeps from one end of the continent to the other and almost 40 million people. It's inevitable, which is why we are a federation and should remain a federation. But it depends again on where you put the emphasis. And if you put the emphasis on those things that divide us, then the things that unite us get lost. Let me ask you as a, a history professor and someone who's watched now generations of university students go through the classroom, some knowing Canada's stories, some not. What are some of the stories that we should know? What, what are the stories that we should know that aren't being taught the way they should? Uh, I think, for example, the, uh, the, the efforts on the part of the government in uh, 19, late 1920s and early 1930s to protect a nascent Canadian culture. How did they do that? Well, they established 
the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Now, I don't have the same view of the CBC today as I might have had back in the 1930s. But the government of the day looked at the proliferation of private broadcasters in the United States, and they said, if Canadians are going to do nothing but listen to American programming, they're going to lose their sense of who they are as a people. And I think in the 1930s, that was quite true. I think it's no longer true and hasn't been true for at least the last 10, 20, 30 years, especially with the Internet and all the rest of that that's going on today. But it was true at the time, and I think it was an important decision that uh, that the government made, and uh, I think Canadians largely supported it. Um, so there's something that I think the government did that was uh, a, a real positive for the people of this country at that time. Uh, then you have to ask yourself, is it still a real positive for people in this country today? And I think a lot of people would say, I don't listen to the CBC. I don't watch the CBC. I don't care what they have on the CBC. And the CBC is just a lot of pro-government propaganda. I, I don't know that that's true. I'm just saying that's a that's that, an that's opinion. That's part a lot of, of the, de- the debate right now. But but yeah. I I understand what you're saying about the historical view and why yeah. uh, R. B. Bennett started it. That's right. It was R. B. Bennett, as a matter of fact. And 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 you know he he uh, he had reasons that appealed to him. Uh, He was a conservative. You may find this funny, but it was mostly liberals who helped him write the Broadcasting Act in 1932, because they thought more or less the same about protecting this very small Canadian culture. Uh, We were a nation, I can't even remember how many people we had in the country at the time, maybe 10, 12 million spread out across uh, uh, 5,000 miles as it was at the time. Um, uh, how do you try to bring Canadians together? Well, you, you, you hold up a mirror and you show them that whether you're from New- Newfoundland or Nova Scotia, well, Newfoundland was not part of Canada, but whether you're from Nova Scotia or, or British Columbia or Manitoba, there are still certain aspects that we all have in common. And I, I don't uh, think it was in it. Sorry, I, I just love the the old Foster Hewitt introduction for Hockey Night in Canada, um, it, which is uh, hockey fans across Canada, the United States, and in Newfoundland. And in Newfoundland. <laughs> well, I grew up in Montreal, so my my hockey guy was Danny Gallivan, <laughs> who was I thought the best hockey commentator on 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 radio and television, uh, and he commented for the Montreal Canadiens, but. Uh, you know, I, I I understand the point that you're making, and uh, you know, just just to say that on the air is to uh, say, well, there is an entity there, and I'm I'm addressing that entity. I'm going to show all you people in Winnipeg and in Calgary how you should be supporting the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> we have a hockey team in Calgary. It's a pretty lousy hockey team, uh, but I don't support the Toronto Maple Leafs. I, I, I'll tell you this, and I'll ask you about other other history bits. Just the difference between where the government's at and regular people. Um, I was at the Leafs game. They may have lost in the playoffs recently. I was at the game. Uh, people belt out, oh, Canada. They, yeah. they wave the flag. They cheer at certain parts of the anthem where, you know, song, you know, where it's, uh, we're singing about uh, freedom. That is a very different view than you get from the people that run the country. Uh, and those, I, I, you know, I'm not sure you, you can call all the people that afford to go to a playoff hockey game 
common folk, but they're much more common than the folk in Ottawa. Uh, what, yeah. what would be some of the other things that, you know, stories that Canadians should know about their history? There are just so many <laughs> uh, Canadians who in the early 20th century won medals at the Olympic Games, for example. Uh, Canadians, and I mentioned it earlier, who helped solve the problem, a very terrible problem of diabetes. Uh, Canadians who invented things that went on to become of great importance to everybody in the world. The Canadian participation, I think the Canadian participation in the Second World War and what we did as a small country to defeat the horrors of Nazi Germany is something that we should be remembering. The veterans are passing away now. There aren't many left, but they did one hell of a job. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't go to northern France and go to a little town and not see a little plaque that says something about the Canadian soldiers who came through here in August of 1944. And whenever I see that, I, and I haven't been to Europe in a long time with the pandemic and so on, it just gives me pride as a Canadian that uh, that that we did something to that was of immense importance to the world. And then you can talk about all the scientific breakthroughs that we made in this country in the area of aerospace, in the area of computing sciences, and so on and so forth, and are still making today. How many Canadians you can see in Hollywood? How many? programs are produced uh, on TV when the writers are actually writing uh, that are made in Canada. Uh, and you say, well, there must be a lot of people in this country who understand TV and radio and modern communications. And yeah, they Hollywood wouldn't come here to make uh, programs. Uh, the Last of Us, for example, made in, a, in and around Calgary. Why? Well, because they knew that the expertise was here. There is expertise here expertise in, uh, in producing television programs and uh, expertise in uh, show in, in uh, constructing uh, sets and so on and so forth. That's why they're here. Uh, why can't we be proud of that kind of thing? Um, so I say that it goes everywhere in the arts, in literature, in science, in engineering, uh, certainly in uh, military accomplishments and so on and so forth. We've got a hell of a story to tell, and we don't tell it. Well, hopefully more people will get interested. Hopefully more people will pass on the stories, even around the kitchen table. Um, and, uh, and I agree with you that you know the, the provinces have to do a better job at uh, getting this into the, the school system. David, thank you so much for your time today, and uh, thank you for your writing over the years that I've enjoyed so much uh, and for taking the time today. You're very welcome. Right. Nice to have a chance. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. My name's Brian Lilly, your host. This episode was produced by Andre Prue with uh, theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. Uh, remember, you can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music. Listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. And you can help us out by giving us a rating or leaving a review. And, of course, telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening. Until next time. I'm Brian Lilly.